Well, good morning again. Good morning, Dan. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 5 in your Bibles. If you've got it on your phone, then turn on your Bible to Mark chapter 5. When I started going back to church after I got saved as a teenager, I ended up in a little country Baptist church. And uh, we would do an altar call every Sunday at the end of the service without fail. Altar call every week. One Sunday after the sermon, we all had our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You might have been in that kind of a setting before. And uh, first was the question, does anybody not know the Lord and and want to know Jesus and be saved? And, And I had my eyes closed, so I don't know if anybody put their hand up or prayed to be saved. And and uh, the, the piano continued to play gently on, and, and uh, we all had our heads bowed. And then the next question that came out was, maybe you are a believer. Maybe you've come to trust in Jesus, but you haven't been baptized. Is there anybody who would like to be baptized? You know, and we all got our eyes closed. And I figured that while everybody was busy studying the back of their eyelids, I could slip my hand up, you know, and be real secret about it, you know. And just, just me and the pastor knew about it. I wanted to be baptized, you know, and so and Pastor Chris said, yeah, I see that hand, you know, and, and we went on, the piano played on, and then it was a request for anybody who wanted to recommit their lives to the Lord, you know, and went on and on. Finally, piano was done playing, you know, we could all raise our eyes again, and uh, Pastor Chris says, Dana, would you come on up to the front? What? So much for anonymity and secrecy, you know. And uh, so I came up to the front and said, Dana would like to be baptized. And I, I maybe, we, you could have thought that perhaps he was going to baptize me right then and there. No, well, he didn't. Uh, he did make a public announcement that I wanted to be baptized. Uh, let me tell you, it wasn't any less public than actually getting baptized itself. There was actually more people there for that. Uh, and believe it or not, I survived that episode. Uh, and it even helped me learn how to be in front of other people with, with less terror. Uh, as we look at our text today in Mark chapter 5, we're going to see a woman who was also reluctant to be publicly known. She was a woman on a covert operation. But, as it turns out, she will not be quite as sneaky as she thought. Uh, and she's going to learn the hard but good grace of following Jesus publicly. Let's read our story here in Mark chapter 5. We've already been over this passage once last week. We focused on Jairus and the raising of his daughter. Uh, We're going to go from verse 21 to 34 and focus now on the story of this woman. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, 
If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray together. Father, your word is very precious to us. Apart from your word, we couldn't know you. We couldn't know the message of your son, Jesus. So we thank you for sending your word to us. For sending your son, Jesus, to come and save us. Pray that you would help us as we get a chance to peer into the ministry of Jesus. To to look into his workings. Pray that you would work by your Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord. Pray that you would free us from shame by your gospel that you would give us joy to follow you publicly. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we focus on verses 24 to 34 today, we're going to see a pretty simple point. Jesus commends faith in him, and so we should believe in him. Now Mark has just introduced Jairus and recorded that Jesus has accepted his request to come and heal his daughter. And the next thing is they're moving together. They're in a great crowd. All these people are around Jesus. And Mark notes that there is a a woman within this crowd. Now, I'm sure there were plenty of women in this crowd, but this one is of special mention. And Mark begins to describe her. And the first thing he describes about her is her condition. You can see that in verse 25 and 26. We can see her condition. Mark notes that she has had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Years, 12 long years of constantly losing blood. In fact, she's been bleeding for as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive. Mark mentions that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old, and this woman's been suffering for 12 years. And this woman has not been a passive sufferer in her condition. Uh, She has tried to do something about it. She's tried to do a lot about it. She's pursued medical help. For whatever kind of medical help they offered at the time, she, in fact, spent all of her money trying to be made well by doctors. And instead, her condition only grew worse. Mark mentions that she had suffered much under the hands of many physicians. And I can only imagine. You just look back to the 1800s and look at the kind of drills the dentists had at that time to, to work on teeth. You keep going back hundreds and hundreds of years, and, and who knows what kind of uh, technology they had for helping people. I mean, the process of cauterizing is an old, thousands of years old practice. Maybe they tried to cauterize her. Who knows? Uh, But whatever it was, uh, the process was painful, financially devastating, and ultimately unsuccessful. Beyond that, what Mark tells us here, so we think about the whole Bible message, uh, we can, can see in the law of Moses that this condition would have rendered this woman unclean. She would have been ceremonially barred from entering the temple. 
Leviticus 15 tells us that. In that case, uh, she is considered unclean for as long as this condition lasts. And anything she touches becomes unclean under the Mosaic law. So you can imagine that she is in a difficult place. She has her problem. She's spent everything trying to fix it. She has suffered under the hands of many doctors, and she is ceremonially unclean. She's in a tough way, and she appears to be without hope of ever getting better. But then she hears about Jesus. Now let's look next at her faith and healing in verse 27 and 29. Mark tells us that she had heard the reports of Jesus. We've already seen throughout Mark's gospel that Jesus' fame spreads all throughout Galilee. Everybody's hearing about it. People are coming out in droves to find healing from Jesus. She has heard about these reports, and she has believed them. And that belief, that faith, turns into action. She actually does something about it. Her faith is evidenced in her actions. James 2 tells us that a living faith always flows out into actions, and that only a dead faith leads to no action whatsoever. And that being said, as we see the example of her faith, uh, her actions are kind of a little striking to us. Uh, it might strike us as a little odd. Uh, there's a couple things along those lines. First, we might ask, why does she go up secretly? She does this uh, in secret. Why not ask Jesus directly? All sorts of people were coming up and asking Jesus for help face to face, and he was healing them. So why not do it that way? Why not just do it the way everybody else did? And I think there's a good chance that she's taking this approach because of her shame about her uncleanness. Uh, she probably should not have been out in public the way that she was, according to the Mosaic Law. Now, this is probably also a pretty private matter. She would prefer the whole thing to be kept in secrecy. Second thing that can strike us as a, a little odd here, perhaps, is the whole business of touching his garment. Now, some suggest that perhaps her faith is mingled with a little bit of superstition here, like there was something magical about his clothes or something. Uh, and if that's the case, then I think Jesus is simply condescending to her imperfect faith and blessing her there. That may be. Uh, I think it might also be evidence that she believes that he's a healer. It's striking uh, that the Roman centurion in Matthew 8, when he tells Jesus about his sick servant, Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. The centurion says, no, I'm a, I'm a man under authority myself. All I have to do is tell my servant, here, go here, do this, and they'll do it. So you just say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marvels at his faith. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's she, she knows that he's powerful enough to heal so much so that all she has to do is touch his garment and be healed. Or whatever the case is, whether her faith is strong or whether it's imperfect, Jesus does commend her for her faith that she truly has. And in her faith, she finds healing from Jesus. Verse 29 says that immediately she stopped bleeding. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And you can only imagine the joy and the relief that she experiences in that moment. Twelve long years of suffering, and in an instant, she's healed. It might seem too good to be true, but it happened to her on that day. And I have to imagine that in her mind, she was thinking, mission accomplished. All right, folks, let's go home. Let's, let's get out of here. Uh, after taking a brief moment of silent joy, she's ready to go home undetected. But that's not how it happened, right? Jesus is everything that she had hoped for, but he's more than that. 
And he's not simply a miracle dispenser, as she's going to soon learn. Let's look next, the next few verses here at her encounter with Jesus. Now remember, this whole scene is taking place after Jesus has agreed to go to Jairus' house. They're moving in a crowd, and his daughter is critically ill. And so they're trying to get there in good time. That's got to be the only thing on Jairus' mind is let's get home. So this, this whole matter is time sensitive. Uh, and that's why it's so shocking that Jesus stops in the middle of this moment and asks who touched his garments. Now, understand, Jesus stopping to address this diversion, as, as somebody else might think of it, uh, is, is not what Jairus wants. In fact, it's not what this woman wants. Uh, if Jesus simply did what other people want, he probably would have kept going. But that's not what Jesus does. He often doesn't work in the way we expect because he has something better in mind. Might seem better to us if this woman uh, were to be let go with her pride intact and then that Jesus went on to heal Jairus' daughter while she was sick. But instead, Jesus is going to free this woman from her hidden shame. He's going to help her to know him rightly and he's going to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jesus' work will be both harder and greater. We often prefer the easy path in life. But Jesus often leads us in the way that is harder and yet better. So he stops. He looks around. He's taking more time looking around. He's asking, who touched his clothes? And I, we can understand the disciples' incredulous response here. You know, what do you mean, who touched you? you? They say, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched you? I have to imagine the disciples were thinking, Everybody touched you. You know, they're in this huge crowd and everybody's all around. But Jesus looks this way and that way and he's looking for who touched him. Jesus creates a space and a time for this woman to fess up. And she realizes that her cover is blown. The secret mission didn't go undetected. She is filled with fear and she starts shaking. She knows that she's going to have to step forward now. Just as Jairus had cast himself down at Jesus' feet, this woman goes similarly and humbles herself before Jesus. And she tells the whole story. Right there in front of everyone, she tells about her condition. She tells about her unsuccessful doctor visits. She tells about her plan to find healing in Jesus. And she shares that she has, in fact, been healed. She tells the whole truth. She comes clean. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Notice that he calls her daughter. This is a term of endearment. You know, in all reality, she's probably older than he is. But he calls her daughter to show his care for her. And in fact, he cares so much for her that he's not going to let her go away with a misconception about either what happened to her or who he is. Had she slipped away unnoticed? She might have thought that it was her cleverness that brought about this healing. But Jesus is no mere magician, and this miracle is not primarily attributed to her cleverness, though her faith is commended here. The reality is that Jesus has delivered this woman from her sickness. Earlier, when Jesus goes public with this miracle, Mark tells us that he had perceived that power had gone out from him. Now, I believe that Jesus knew exactly what had happened. And I think he knew exactly who this woman was. Uh, the public moment 
was for her benefit. It wasn't for his own benefit. It wasn't that he was ignorant. And it was not his clothes that healed her, but it was Jesus himself. Her faith laid hold on him, evidenced by the fact that she touched his clothes, and he delivered her from her affliction. And it is clear then to everybody uh, at this point that she was delivered, and now she's been freed from the stigma of her uncleanness. Well, now that we've walked through the story in a little more detail, uh, let's ask some questions. How does it apply to us? Is this, just, is this just a nice story in the Bible that we read and we move on? I don't think so. In fact, I hope that uh, you've already been gathering some application along the way. I hope that the Holy Spirit has been bringing this home for you already. Uh, but I want to consider some other points of application here as well. Uh, the first one is, is quite obvious. In fact, it's so obvious, you could miss it. It's like when you open the refrigerator door and you're looking for the milk. You say, where's the milk? Where did it go? Who hid the milk? And it's right there in front of your face. Uh, sometimes, uh, some points are so obvious we might miss them. First point here of application is simply to believe on Jesus. Pretty obvious, right? Uh, here, here's the next big shocker. The Bible commends faith in God. Pretty revolutionary, right? Uh, it's, it's right here in the passage. This woman is commended for her faith. She believed the report that she heard, and then she acted on it. When we hear the message of this book, the right response is belief. This book reports to us not only that Jesus healed physical infirmities, but that he can heal our souls from the deadly curse of sin. Jesus is able to raise up those who are dead in sin, just as he raised up Jairus' daughter. The next question there is then, do we believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it enough to stake your eternal soul on it? Heaven and hell are in the balance, and it all hangs on who Jesus is and if we belong to him by faith. This woman couldn't find a person in the world to help her, but Jesus could, and he did. There's not a man or a woman on this planet who comes to Jesus in faith and repentance who he will not receive. Well, there's our first application, invitation to believe in Jesus. And the next one's in the same vein. I think the next thing we should bring as an application from this for ourselves is to bring our shame to Jesus. Now, this woman is not proud of her situation. She was probably humiliated by her condition. So it wasn't pleasant. She had hoped that she could slip in, find healing, and then slip out unnoticed. It seems like she didn't even want Jesus to know about it. That's why she comes with fear and trembling when he starts asking questions. She's terrified, but she knows that now she's got to go to him face to face and fess up. To have to share a long-kept secret can feel like you're going to die. But when you share it, you often find life on the other side. This is especially true in sharing our shame with Jesus. You know, who wants to admit the shameful things they've done in their lives? Who wants to admit the shameful things that have happened to you? The answer, obviously, is nobody wants to. But the whole point of shame, in fact, is that you don't want to share it with anybody. You don't want anybody to know. But this woman brings her shame to Jesus, and what does he do with it? He removes it. He heals her. He lifts her shame off of her. He has already healed her, but he publicly pronounces her as healed. 
she no longer has the stigma of this uncleanness. And her physical uncleanness is a picture of the spiritual filth that every single human being has in their hearts. And none of us are proud of that. This text encourages us to bring that to Jesus. How does he heal the stain of sin and shame in our lives? He takes it upon himself. He takes it to the cross. On the cross, Jesus is crucified between thieves, run-of-the-mill crooks. He's executed alongside criminals just as if he was just any other sinner. The sinless, perfect, and glorious Jesus is subjected to the most humiliating and shameful execution there was. He was hanged publicly so people walking by the road could see him. He was probably hung naked. He was given over to a long, slow, agonizing death as his enemies taunted him throughout the experience. They said things like, you saved others, why don't you save yourself? Come on down from the cross now, Jesus. They're they're taunting him and heaping shame on him as he hangs there. But little did they know that in those moments, he was taking our shame upon himself. He was taking our curse upon himself and our sin on himself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus takes our sin upon himself. Paul will say he becomes sin. Not that he sins, but he takes that on himself, and he is punished in our place. He takes our shame from us, he takes our sin from us, and that sin is dealt with there on the cross. And we are invited to take part in his righteousness. We can bring all of our shame to him, all of our sin to him, because he has dealt with it decisively. If we're in him, then we know that reality. Our last point of application here follows from that. I think it'd be this. Don't be ashamed to let people know what Jesus has done for you. Don't be ashamed to let people know what Jesus has done for you. Again, she didn't want anybody to know anything about this. She wanted to be healed, and then she wanted to head out. She didn't even want Jesus to know, but she certainly didn't want the crowd to know. But that's not how we're meant to live in Christ. That's not what he intends for us. Jesus is not a vending machine that we go to to get our goods and then go and do our thing. He makes a total claim on our lives, and we should not be ashamed to be known as his. We weren't meant to live as secret Christians. Now, I'm not saying that every time you go out in public and you meet somebody new, you say, hi, I'm a Christian, and my name happens to be Dana. Uh, I'm not saying that, but as people get to know you, they should begin to get to know uh, who Jesus is to you. They should begin to get to know how he's changed your life. That should come out naturally. It should naturally be a part of who you are and come out naturally. It doesn't have to be wooden uh, and blocky. It can be quite natural as, as we just naturally share about who Jesus is to us. If we're afraid to be known as belonging to Jesus, and if that doesn't come out naturally in our lives, we can ask why not. Are we afraid to be known as one who needs a Savior? Perhaps we're afraid that we're going to be asked a question that we're not equipped to respond to. 
Hopefully it's not because we're ashamed to be associated with Jesus. Uh, for whatever reason we have, when we get those moments that we're called to step out and be public, we can entrust that to God. As we trust Jesus, we'll find him even more trustworthy. And it gets us back to our main point here as we wrap up. This passage is commending faith to us. And we are encouraged to believe in Jesus and put our full confidence in him. The point of this passage is simple. Join with this woman and believe in Jesus. As we transition to our time of communion, I just want to say a few words about how we do communion here at Berean. Uh, we practice.